Well, good morning to you. Isn't that a beautiful morning? <coughs> Janet was just confiding to me earlier that she is enjoying this summer more than any other. She thinks it's, <laughs> usually the summer's too warm for her. <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, it's good to see you this morning, and we look forward to the morning. We're going to spend a little time in the scriptures to begin, and then we're going to have... You'll get a pretty good idea of what's going to happen afterwards as you listen to the teaching for the morning. Let me bring to you a subject. It's rather, it's basically a quotation from the words of Jesus. Jesus said these words. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, he said. And I want to read several passages of Scripture with you this morning to begin where these words are found in several of the Gospels. I begin, though, in the Old Testament in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, and this talks about Samuel's mother. You remember Samuel's mother's name was Hannah. So this is Samuel's mother, and she was unable to have a child. She was barren. And since she was barren in the culture at the time, it was viewed that she must have transgressed in some way that God's favor was not shown to her to be able to have a child. So she was treated with a certain amount of contempt by her associates and other ladies. And she prayed fervently. Remember how even when she was praying, she was misunderstood. And she prayed fervently that the Lord would uh, grant her a child. Her prayer was answered. And then we find her words here. First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 27. And she said, I prayed for this boy. And the Lord granted me the request I asked of. And now I'm dedicating him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he will be dedicated to the Lord. Aren't those lovely words? I prayed for this boy, and the Lord granted me the request I asked of him. And now I'm dedicating him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he will be dedicated to the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful words. I move from 1 Samuel, I move to Matthew, and now I'm going to read the same basic circumstance as recorded in what's referred to as the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic Gospels. And you might know the word synoptic. It's kind of obvious what it means. It has two parts. Sin, optics. Optics have to do with vision, right? Optometrist, optical, all these various words we have. Sin, that part, we find that word synonymous. We find it in synergies, a word that's used often today, synergies. Everything that tends to complement one another and agree with each other and add to each other, but in a very comprehensive kind of way. Therefore, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospels because they complement each other and add to a more comprehensive view of the events. And we'll see that here this morning as we read, beginning in Matthew chapter 19. Then little children were brought to Jesus that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. You might ask yourself, why would they do that? But he said, leave the children alone, allow the little ones to come to me and do not forbid or restrain or hinder them. For if such is the kingdom of heaven composed. And he put his hands upon them and then went on his way. Now, that is Matthew. Now, I'm going to read Luke's version, writing, about the same event. 
Luke chapter 18 and verse 15. Some people were even, were, were even bringing infants. Now, many, most of your translations now that really translate, because you, uh, Luke uses a unique Greek word that is properly translated as infants. So most of the Bibles then in this place translated as infants. Some people were even bringing infants to him so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Not just little children, but infants. Jesus, however, invited them. Now he uses this little children. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What does he mean? The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So we see now from this idea of the synoptics, gospels, that not only were there little children, but also there were infants. Now I read from Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, Some people were bringing little children to him so he might touch them, but his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And Jesus was perturbed. He was upset with his disciples. Why? Are you stopping them? Don't stop them. (laughs) Let the little children come to me. Even babies. Let the babes or the infants come to me. Now, quite likely the reason the disciples were opposing was that they couldn't understand little babies being brought. The idea that small children would be brought to Jesus, quite likely they could fathom that. But infants? Infants? To bring infants to him? What do the infants know? What do they, 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 they're not aware of all that is occurring. And so the opposition then by the disciples most likely had to do with the idea of bringing infants as opposed to just small children to Jesus. In any event, uh, Jesus very clearly says, continuing in Mark's uh, chapter 10, He said, I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God, this is very important, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. These are solemn words. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. I want to say a few words this morning about Jesus. It's all about Jesus as far as I'm concerned, but I want to say a few words about Jesus. The revelation of Scripture, of course, is our window into the person of Jesus and his life on the earth and where he came from and how he came to this earth and how he left this earth is recorded in sacred Scripture. I want to say to you this morning that based on the evidence of Scripture, I want to introduce you to Jesus and say that he is the most intelligent human being that ever walked the face of the earth. I want to say to you that you are looking at perfection personified. I want to say to you that there never was a holy, truly holy, righteous person in every way other than himself that ever walked on planet earth. 
I want to say that there were no secrets held to him, held from him, other than those that he restricted himself from knowing. I want you. I want to say this morning that as he saw these little children, even infants, being brought to Jesus, his desire was to take them into his arms, to embrace them, to hold them, to cradle them in his arms, to hug them, right? To hug them. In the same way that you do, you have a desire and inclination to do that, and you do that. We all love babies. Even I love babies. <laughs> Pat really loves babies. <laughs> we all love babies. I don't believe there was ever a human being that loved babies and little children more than Jesus. It's impossible that there could have been. Do you know that a baby coming into the world is a soul coming into the world? It is a soul. And do you know that the soul never dies? And as Jesus took those little ones in his arms, he realized, of course, that he is taking into his arms a person created in many respects in the image and likeness of God for whom he would come and live and die and rise again. And as he prayed for them, prayed for them and blessed them and laid his hands on them and blessed them, I often wonder, I just wonder, someday we perhaps will know, I believe we will know, someday how that influenced their lives as they grew older. But I want to say to you that that influenced their lives in a tremendous way. Now, as they brought their little ones to Jesus this morning, or as they brought their little ones to Jesus then, do you believe that you can bring your little ones to Jesus now in the same way as they did? And would he react to them the same way now that he reacted to them then? The answer to that must only be yes. And so now I'd like to uh, share a few things. And what I, I want to do now is just basically share with you a few things. Because this morning we're going to have a dedication, a dedication service. Kyle and Hannah have asked that we have. And we are going to absolutely oblige them according to this wonderful request of theirs. For Lila May. I could say to you that when Pat and I were the age of some of you who are now bringing your little ones into the world. Some of you have small ones already. And we would uh, anticipate perhaps uh, more as time goes on. That's between you and God. <laughs> but there were many things that we did not know and we did not have presented to us. And I want to say to you this morning that what I believe we will be able to present to you this morning is something that was not presented to us. And I didn't know these things myself. And we made many mistakes. I've made many mistakes, and some of the mistakes that I've made, I didn't come this morning to talk to you about all my mistakes. I just want to say to you that I've made many mistakes, many errors, not knowing the things, not having insight and understanding into certain things with regards to the privilege that we have as fathers and mothers and our responsibility to our little ones. We all want to do the very best for our children. We all love our children, and we all want the very best for our children. But what is that very best, and what does the Word of God have to say about what we need to do to honor Him to the best advantage of our children? I want to say to you this morning, without being dramatic, 
content of the message this morning will enable you to influence the lives of your little ones for time and for eternity. Your ability to receive these uh, thoughts, which do not originate with me, your ability to receive these thoughts will determine what the Lord will say to you on that final day when you stand before him and you give an account for how you functioned as a parent, what you did as a father, and what you did as a mother. And he will hold you accountable for these things. And of course, it is our fervent desire that as you stand there, you will hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I can think of several things in my own experience where specific circumstances from time to time where I could not expect to hear that from him. But when I stand before him on that day, I will not stand before him on the basis of my own performance. I will stand before him on the basis of what he has done on my behalf and how I have placed myself entirely and entrusted myself entirely to his merits. And I will say, your merits will become mine. But at the same time as we will stand before him in that way, there still will be consequences for the way in which we have lived. The things that we have done that we ought not to and the things that we have not done that we ought to have done. We want to talk about some of those things this morning. All right, to begin with, we want to say uh, the obvious is uh, they brought their children to Jesus. Bring them. Uh, What does this mean to bring them to Jesus? I believe it obviously means that there was some conversation that took place between mothers and fathers. There was an understanding that Jesus was If they did not know exactly who he was, they knew he was a great prophet. They knew he was a man sent from God. They knew that he had power, special power. They knew that his word had power. They knew his hands had power. They knew that power emanated forth from him. There never was a human being in the history of the world that lived in that place between heaven and earth as did he. Where the unseen could be manifested through the physical manifestation of Jesus and the unseen power of God would be manifested forth into time and space. Never has been that, as it was with him. And if you had your little ones there at that time and you were walking the shores of Galilee, you would have wanted to place your little ones in the hands of Jesus too. And if you had an opportunity, you would have gladly brought your little ones to him. You could have come from any religion in the world at the time. About 15 minutes of observing the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, you would have wanted to place your little ones in his hands, in his arms. You would have brought them. But it takes two. This is a decision that must be made by fathers and mothers. What happens if the parents are in disagreement about these things? And what happens if there's a marriage that occurs and two individuals are married, but they don't share spiritual values or spiritual understanding? And one is inclined then to bring the child little one to Jesus and the other is not so sure about that and is not inclined to do so. Then there's disagreement. Is there value in bringing the little ones to Jesus 
Is there something that may, will happen to them? Is there spiritual power that is conferred to them? Is there a blessing that is brought to them that will influence their lives? The answer is yes. This is one of the reasons that the scripture teaches that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Some find out later on in life, after they have become unequally yoked, that there are consequences to that. And one of the consequences manifests itself right here, manifests itself right here in the willingness to bring the little ones to Jesus or not. You will be responsible either way for your decision and the decision will be yours and no one will impose a decision upon you other than yourself. But you will stand accountable for the decision that you make and you will answer as surely as we sit here today, you will answer for your decision. And that decision will influence the life of your children and perhaps influence where that child spends eternity and where the soul finds its place in the end. Now I want to share a couple of things that is very clear uh, advice to parents who would be inclined to and have a desire to place their little ones in the arms of Jesus. And some of the things that need to be emphasized as you raise your little ones and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord this is what I want, to, I want to come right to the bottom line with you this morning. I want to say this to you this morning. That your responsibility is to, is to work with your little one, to encourage your little one, to and develop within your child a love of the truth. A love of the truth. Love of the truth in everything, in all things. Love of the truth in mathematics. Love of the truth in earth sciences. I just mean a love of the truth. Jesus spoke about himself and he said, I am the truth. He is the truth personified. I want to say this morning that there is no truth in any level at any, in any um, part of life. Truth. I don't mean just somebody's supposition or theory. But when we come through all the theories and we come down to the truth of things, we will find that we are in agreement, in agreement with Jesus of Nazareth, no matter what that truth is. Raise your children to love the truth. Do everything you can to work with them to love the truth. For example, you might say to them that they will find in their life times where they will need an ability to discern between what is true and what is not. And the greatest challenge they will ever have will be at those times. How do I determine what is true and what is not true? How do I determine that in terms of my associations and friends and the decisions that I will make in my life about whether, with regard to whether I will do this, and you fill in the blanks, do this or not do this. I do it because it's true. I love the truth. I want the truth. I believe that if you instill a great love of the truth in your children, that that desire will lead them back to Messiah Jesus, no matter where they go. No question about it. I embarked on a search for truth when I was about 25, 26 years old. Very disillusioned and not living in the truth at all. And that quest for truth led me into areas that would astonish you and you would be very much in disagreement with. And you would be appalled by. 
It led me into a lot of things and led me back out of it again. Led me into certain things, led me out of those things because I knew they were not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In uh, this decision of yours to instill a love of the truth in your children, be very important for you to understand there's a difference between information that you provide them and revelation. Information will allow them to be well-informed, and they could grow up to be well-informed on all kinds of subjects, including the subjects of religion or the Bible. They may be able to quote Scripture in entire chapters and verses, but unless there is a revelation of the truth of that content to their own spirit, they will not be benefited very much by it. And they will grow up to be religious. But they will not be spiritual and will not have a right relationship with Jesus. So remember the difference as you teach them and as you train them and as you read to them. There's a difference between the information that's very important for you to provide them. But no, there must be a revelation of that to their spirit. The next thing is discipline. Very important to have discipline. And the idea of discipline, I would like to go back and redo this if I could, but you see, you can't go back. That's why we're talking about these things now. The idea of discipline is there must be discipline. And a child must learn that there is right and wrong, and there are consequences for each. And you must have rules that are right and true and honest, and that you can defend. And you must insist that your children follow those, and live by them and abide by them. But it's not enough just to have them while they're under your roof or under your control to do the things that you want them to do. It's not enough. What you really want is you want them to willingly submit to those things because they are true and because they are right. So you need to convince them of the rightness of these things. Not just do them because I'm bigger than you and I can enforce my, my rules on you, but you need to Work with your child and develop your child to submit willingly to those right rules that you make. I would say that uh, there is one thought that comes to mind, and I believe this would be very important for you to develop creatively ways of doing something like this, where you can teach your little ones how that people made decisions at certain times out of selfishness, Tell them there's a difference between how important it is not to, be, not to be governed by selfishness, but to be governed by what is true. Tell them the importance of honesty. And you can research and find different things. For example, in the, perhaps the design of Titanic or the way in which it was prepared to cross the Atlantic Ocean and how that perhaps there were certain shortcuts taken at different times. You could, you could, you could talk about different things that have happened on the Great Lakes and how ships were brought in for repair. You need to research some of these things and find out how people did not replace certain rivets because of the cost involved to find that there was a great storm and later on that ship went to the bottom. And people did of self-interest and selfishness, they made decisions that had tragic consequences. And, and, and find creative ways to teach them according to their intelligence level the importance between honesty, openness, no matter what the consequence are, consequences are. That people do things out of selfish interest and try to hide and try to deceive. How tragic the consequences of that can become. 
And what this all does is it, it, it helps to bolster the idea of a love of the truth, even when it hurts. And so if your child makes a mistake and comes to you and says, I made a mistake, I did that, and I know it's not right, and I was wrong, that would be one of the greatest days in your life. Not that they made the mistake, but that they know it's important to be honest with regards to it. All right, the unity of parents. Very important to, to be united and to be one, husband and wife, father and mother together. Very important not to be involved in arguments in the, in the home in front of your children. Whatever you do, do not do this. Do not, do not find yourself in negative, angry conversations between yourselves in the presence of your children. If you do that, you will invite into your home a satanic influence. I'm not being melodramatic. That's exactly what you will do. It will change the atmosphere, the spiritual environment of your home from one that is peaceful and enjoyable to one that is filled with tension and antagonism. And in that tension and antagonism, the wiles of the devil and the temptations of the satanic one are free to work. Remember how important your example is to your children? There is no example of anyone that is greater than your own. And I want to emphasize a couple of things here that uh, I would, that someone would have emphasized to me. And I'm deliberately trying to refrain from using my own examples here because I want you to think about the truth of these, not just my examples. One of the greatest things you could ever do for your children as you raise them in the nurture, admonition of the Lord, in a climate that is conducive to their spiritual well-being, in a climate that is cooperative with the presence of the Holy Spirit, is to have heart happiness. Heart happiness. Heart happiness. Some call it joy. Joy. Now, if you find yourself that you are in a period of your life, and sometimes we go through very difficult things, sometimes difficult things at work, and difficult, difficulties abound, and we find ourselves under the weight of that. But if you bring that home, and if you display that before your children, you will hinder the spiritual growth of your children. So you must find a way to deal with those things and not bring them home. Well, how do you do that? You go to the cross. You go to Messiah Jesus himself. You lay yourself out before him like that. Let me go back and ask you this question. Why do you think that Jesus said to his disciples, don't forbid these little ones because... Of such as these is the kingdom of heaven composed. Why did he say that? Why would he say about infants that the kingdom of heaven would be composed as, and if people did not become like that, they would not even enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why did he say that? Well, you've probably heard it said that it was because of the childlike faith. The child, you know, child's just, they just accept things. They just believe things. They, 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 just, they, they just accept it in a childish, childlike way. Was that what Jesus was talking about? No. I believe not. And many present it that way, but that is not what he was talking about. Absolutely not. Well, what was he talking about? Well, this was displayed to me this past week. A little, a little boy came into our home, had supper with us, 
He's uh, about five weeks old. Five weeks old. And I was able, not very, not very practiced anymore at this, but I was able to take him in my arms. I think Jesus was much more capable than was I. <laughs> but Pat said I did pretty good, so that was, that was good. So, so um, he, he obviously has this wonderful connection with his mother. And his mother has this marvelous and wonderful devotion and connection with him. And I watched her as she took him over to the Chesterfield and she laid him out there to, to attend to him. And I saw her leaning over towards him and talking to him and his little eyes just fastened on her face. And I said, what is he capable of seeing at this age? And she said, he can see about 18 inches. He can see about 18 inches. That's what she said. She said he sees in black and white right now. He sees things in black and white. And he sees about 18 inches like that. So she gets into the space. I'll tell you why, what Jesus was referring to. That little baby boy is entirely dependent upon his mother. He is entirely dependent upon her. He looks to her for everything. And when he needs something, he wants to get her attention. It's enough that he gets her attention. If he can't get her attention, he wants to get his father's attention. <laughs> because they both have wonderfully spent wonderful time with him in these first five weeks. I would say to you that his first priority would be her attention, but not far behind would be his attention. But you see, he's entirely dependent for everything upon his father and mother. This is the characteristic that Jesus is saying you must have to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is the way that you must be like them in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Is we must be entirely dependent upon the merits of Christ Jesus our Lord and what he has done for us. We must willingly place ourselves entirely in dependence upon him. So if you come home and you're not having the greatest day and you have challenges... On the way home, you need to find a quiet place and you need to place yourself and make yourself entirely dependent upon Him. And if there was an altar there, you climb up on it and lay on it and say, Lord, I am yours, entirely yours. And you will find as you do that, that sovereignly and supernaturally and wonderfully, the grace of God will come and satisfy your soul and satisfy your mind and minister, you, minister to you according to your needs and he will do that every time because that's what he specializes in doing. Then when you come into the home, you will have the joy of the Lord and you will be happy in your heart. There's nothing you can give your children that's greater than that level of happiness. If they go out into the world from a drab, dire, you know, strained looking family and they go out into the world and find a happy place out there, they will gravitate towards that happy place the happiest place that they should ever have is the home that they grew up in. And if the happiest, most joyful place that they've ever experienced is your home, the home that they grew up in, even though they may wander far and wide, they will always come back to that, forever will return to that. Greatest gift. I wish someone would have told me that. Teach them to pray. Teach your little ones to pray.
How do you teach somebody to pray? By praying. How do you learn to play crokinole? How do you learn to play any game? You learn by doing. Don't you teachers know you learn by doing? You can talk and you can show videos and you can do all this. Best way to teach anybody anything is to do it. <laughs> you learn by doing. You learn to pray by praying. At some point, the adversary will come along, the enemy, because you see, all of these things are contested. There is a spiritual realm, good and evil. And all of these good things will be contested because it's a spiritual battle. But the victory has already been won. We abandon ourselves to the merits of Christ, just as that little boy gives himself entirely dependence upon his mom and dad. Same way, no difference. Now, the adversary will come along and he'll say, if you teach your children to pray by praying, and I mean by praying is pray for specific things according to their interests, according to their intelligence level. Pray for specific things, not just in generalities. Oh, but I don't want to pray for specific things. What if the prayer is not answered? What if the prayers are not answered? And I will encourage my child to be a skeptic with regards to these things. Do you recognize the talk of the devil? There it is. There it is. There are certain things that will inhibit your prayers being answered. And if you pray and your prayers are not being answered, then there's something wrong. You need to find out what it is that's wrong. For example, the scripture tells us that we must pray according to his will. That if we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petition that we have asked of him. It's important to live in a place where we are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ so that we are invited to come in and ask largely that our joy might be full. And ask largely and encourage your little ones to ask and encourage them to see the importance of having their heart right before God when they ask. The scripture teaches very clearly, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What does that mean, if I regard iniquity in my heart? It means that if I tolerate its presence. How many of you allow just anybody to walk into your home? You have a home? Do you allow just anybody to walk in off the street at any old time at all? Just to walk in? You control who comes into your home, when they come into your home. And if they're not invited into your home and they come in at an inappropriate time and they're reluctant to leave, you will disinvite them in a fraction of a second, will you not? You do the same things with these kinds of thoughts. If I regard iniquity in my heart, well, do not regard or tolerate iniquity in your heart. If there's something that happens where you realize there's something in your heart that's not right, your attitude that's not right, then go to the cross of Christ and get it made right. Confess it. Repent of it. Again, place yourself entirely in dependence upon Him and His grace will flow into your life. Just as that little five-week-old baby did. And that's what Jesus is saying. You must become like this little child. If you don't become like this little child, you will not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about a little child gullibility or willingness to go along with anything, or susceptibility to persuasion. All those things can be good or bad. He's not talking about that at all. 
A little child who just believes everything it will follow a stranger to their own ruin. He's not talking about that. Is he willing to hear them when they pray? Well, let me take you back to the beginning where we started today. Where he became very upset with his disciples and said, Stop! What are you doing in rebuking these parents? Let the little ones come to me. Don't stop them, right? Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. That's his nature. He doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he was there that day, he is this day, today. Let the little ones come to me and don't stop them. So when your little one, encouraged by you to pray, as you teach them to pray by praying, comes to him in prayer, what will his attitude be towards that prayer? You can answer that yourself. I don't need to answer that for you. You know that unless there is something that's hindering that in you, or maybe even in the little child, nothing can hinder. Nothing can hinder. Teach them how to pray. I want to say to you that as they grow older and if they go away to uh, colleges or universities or wherever it might be in this world, where there's great skepticism with regards to the truth of Christianity, there is nothing that will sustain your child more than knowing that God answers prayer through Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody could convince them otherwise when they have grown up in the climate of answered prayer. No, no one can convince them otherwise. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them.